flew few obligatory comments. I stood up here, and my wife leaned over to me and was like, it's going to have to be a short one. So <laughs> I see you. <laughs> uh, I'll do my best. Uh, second of all, um, the title of this is uh, Rise of the True King, and you would probably also expect that this is going to be just full of Lord of the Rings references, and I actually have none, so uh, I apologize uh, about that as well. Um, I'm actually genuinely am excited to um, this new series we're doing on the uh, life of David. It's, uh, uh, I love the stories of the Old Testament. They're very rich. They're very human. They're very chaotic. They're very uh, relatable. Um, and there are so many things embedded in here that uh, to stimulate our curiosity and ultimately um, our faith um, in our true king. And I think that's what uh, we'll see this morning and uh, pray to that, uh, to that end. Um, so let me read this passage and then I'll pray for us uh, and we'll jump in. This is 1 Samuel sixteen fourteen through 23. This is the word of the Lord. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul... And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. And let our Lord now command your servants who are before you seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, uh, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts I'd be pleasing in your sight. Um, would you usurp my words and would you um, use them for, um, um, for your uh, purposes to grow your kingdom among us? In Christ's name, amen. Um, so I've been watching this TV show um, called The Expanse. Um, I don't know if some of you have seen that. Um, all the uh, you know, qualifiers of certainly not for kids. Um, um, watch it at your own peril. Um, and I'm a little self-conscious about continuing to use TV and movie illustrations. Like, I think I need to do more with my life um, in, in some ways. But it, it, it came to my mind and um, illustrated this point. Um, it's, a, it's a space show, and, you know, it's a common plot line. There were several people on a ship um, and enrolled in some kind of a business or military or whatever, and through a lot of chaotic events, they end up, the ship goes down and they escape and they find themselves with, you know, just four or five of them together, uh, all alone, kind of out in this new frontier, and they've got to figure out where to go. Um, and one of the hardest parts they had to figure out was who was going to be in charge, uh, because all the old structures that they had been under um, 
they, you know, they weren't enforceable in the same way that they used to be. Like there was somebody who was a, a, a captain before, but then there was another guy who was big and strong. And then there's one of the strong female leads who just has the, the charisma and this way of negotiating with people. Um, and there's this scene where they're really re- just, um, um, I keep listening to that thing out there, sorry. <laughs> Maybe if I just name it, it'll go away. The, the, if someone can play some music and the harmful spirit from the, the alley would, would depart from us, uh, that would be helpful. Um, but it puts this leadership dilemma in a whole new situation that put out in this new frontier where the old things, um, they weren't as enforceable as they used to be. It became a tough situation that who do we follow? Uh, we know that we have to stay together or we're all going to, you know, our demise will come. Uh, but I don't know that I trust you and I don't know how I, that I trust you. And there are all these factors that are in play of who looks like they're going to be the best leader. And you really see them wrestling with this, you know, in the, um, in the show in the beginning. And I, I take that as a metaphor for adult life. Um, and that's not to say this is not for kids, kids here in the room, this is for you as well. But there's some sense in which, you know, when you, you grow up in the household and, um, the authority structure is clear. Um, you know exactly who to follow, what the rules are. But growing in maturity, it comes with a lot of freedom, and it also comes with a lot of other problems. And there's always this sense in that we have to continually decide that who are we actually going to follow, who are we going to trust, who are we going to pay attention to, who are we going to give our time and money to, who are we going to entrust our well-being into their hands. It starts, you know, you go off to college and you've got to decide what church to go to. You've never done that before. It was always just there for you. And then as you grow and you start to get this sense of like, of differentiating yourself, like I've got my own thoughts and my own values and maybe differentiating a little bit from where I came from or these kinds of things. And we start to seek and we start to pay attention to other people. Um, but it's kind of a tough thing. Like I saw this meme uh, recently that said when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get out. Um, and I was like, um, you know, nobody is going to tell me what to do. And these days I'm an adult. And would somebody please give me just one little hint about what I should do? And I would take it. Um, I just lay all this out before you. Like I think as humans, we have a testy relationship with leadership in a lot of ways. In particular, who we pick out and who we choose and who we follow. Um, they're really people that influence us and that we're entrusting our well-being with. And this is the kind of anxiety that is coming through in behind this passage as well. That Israel as a nation is growing in maturity. Um, it is it has grown in size and in number. Um, and the bigger they get, the more problems they get, and the more they're ra- they're just wrangling decisions with how do we uh, defend our borders, how do we organize our leadership structure, and these kinds of things. And they're pushed into this kind of chaos of who to follow. And what's behind this, even, you know, even behind that, is that we have that God himself, who is continuously revealing himself and pouring himself out to this people um, to be their true king. And there's always this question that is, hang- that is hanging there, is that will this time, will Israel fully embrace Yahweh as their true king? And will they follow him? Or were the chaos that surrounds them um, steer the ship in another direction? Um, and we get that tension here. And I think this story of Saul and David, it is all about this. It is about these two kings in particular. It's about leadership in that sense. 
but it is more significantly about um, what is going on with God and his people. Um, There is a God here who is expressing his kingship to his people, and he is asking them to trust him, asking them to follow him um, so that they would know him as he truly is, and they would experience the true peace uh, and prosperity and shalom that comes with being wrapped up in his arms. And so what I'm going to do, I've got three points, and they're all about God's kingship, about what we're learning from God's kingship here from this passage. Um, And I'll I'll unpack them uh, as we go. Maybe it'll make a little bit more sense that way. Uh, But first, I want to draw your attention. I think one of the first things that really jumps out to me in this passage is that God uh, rules even when he is not recognized. Um, One of the way this passage works is that you're seeing all these details um, that are coming into play of how David is actually being placed in, um, in the kingdom where he needs to be, where he can be the king. Um, this is God's man. And we see all these things being worked out behind the scenes that um, no person planned, but that God is using and is working um, together behind the scenes in order to get David um, on the throne and in this place. Um, and you'll remember, to, just to give a little background of this, um, in First Samuel, I believe it's chapter 8, uh, Charles talked about this, I think, um, in the last sermon that whenever Israel chose Saul, they said that they wanted a king, and there was provision in the law for them to have a king, um, but they were going to choose a king of their own making. And what God said to Samuel was really um, piercing and insightful, because Samuel was upset about this. Uh, what God said to him is that to not fear, because they have not rejected you as their prophet, but they have rejected me as their king. But what I want you to do is I want you to go and give them what they asked for, uh, for a time. And that sets up, this is a period in Israel's history as they're growing into maturity where they have actually rejected God as their true king. Um, They want to go their own way. It says they want a king like all the other nations. They want someone who looks like those around them that's going to give them those kinds of things. But even still, even as God does that, as he kind of condescends their level and says, here, you can have exactly who you asked for um, and see what it's like, then what do we see? We see David, this anointed one, who had just been heard of, um, who was brought into the kingdom. He happens to be a skilled player of instruments. Um, He finds favor in Saul's sight. He becomes his armor bearer. And all of a sudden, with nobody planning this, then he is right in the middle of the place he needs to be. Um, He is meeting people. He's growing in experience. He's becoming an integral part of this kingdom. And that is all because God is at work. And this passage is illustrating this for us that even in the situation of chaos and rebellion, that there is still a king on the throne, even if he is not recognized. And in that sense, it almost doesn't, you know, if the question is who are we going to follow, is on one angle you can look at it that it almost doesn't matter who you follow because he's still king and he's going to do his own thing in his own way um, in his own time. And I want to just give one more wrinkle to this um, as just thinking about who this section would have been written for. Uh, It's hard to tell when it was dated, but it had to have been after David's David's death um, or during a time of exile, Uh, which this is a chaotic time of in the history of the nation of Israel. Things weren't going well. Um, The king, the kingdom is breaking apart. It is split in two. There's factions. uh, There's idolatry. There's a situation of exile coming in. And it is there 
that God is giving this letter who is reinforcing again and again that even though you might not see it, even though it might not be terribly obvious who is actually the one in control here, that Yahweh is still on the throne. He is pulling his strings behind the scenes. He is getting his way at the end of the day. And I think we all know a little bit what it feels like to feel like chaos and maybe to feel like a little bit of an exile um, situation even in our own lives. Uh, When things are not going well, um, things are terribly chaotic around us, we feel isolated and afraid and don't know what. And it it is the simplest point. But sometimes it is the point that we need to hear over and over and over and over again. That even in the chaos, even when his kingship is not totally recognized, he is still at work getting his way. It will come about exactly the way that he wants it. Uh, that's the first point. So in a sense way, that in one way, God rules even when he's not recognized. And in that sense, it almost doesn't matter who we follow. Um, he's going to do uh, what he wants uh, anyways. Um, but this, there's another side to this as well, because on, on the other side of it, then we, we're kind of asked these questions is that, you know, if Yahweh is the actual king, if he is the one who is always at work behind the scenes, uh, he's given his law, he's given his uh, values, he's given, um, you know, the story that shapes uh, the people of Israel, that we're left with this kind of a vague, a vague sense. Um, and that's a little bit of a disconnected um, impression that we might got to, you know, get of God. Um, that is he just some faraway power that is inaccessible, um, who's just pulling the strings and, you know, getting his way. But in the, here in the second point, I think what the story is emphasizing is that rather than being a faraway and a distant God, um, who, it, you know, it doesn't matter who we actually follow, um, that it actually does. That he is actually near, he is more near than his people than they even realize. And this is illustrating that his presence is recognized through his anointed figure. That God empowers his anointed and that, he, uh, that his kingdom is recognized through this representative um, that he has. Um, this, we got to know a little bit about the kingship of Israel, how it functioned. So um, Israel was, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, it allowed them to have a king. Uh, but the king was not going to be like kings of the other nations, that the king was going to be the one who actually represented uh, the presence and the rule of God amongst the people. And so the king above anything else um, was a model for what it looked like um, to keep the law, what modeled what it looked like to live in a society in a way that reflected God's character. And as the king was the representative of the people, then the blessings that came from the king, from God to the king, extended to everybody else. You know, the kind of the phrase goes that how the king goes, that's how the nation was going to go. If the king worshipped idols, if the king rebelled against God, then the curses of that would end up falling on the whole people and vice versa. Um, as the king was blessed by God, as the king followed in his way, then blessing would be extended to the rest of the people as well. And David is being set up as God's man who is going to fulfill this spot um, in Israel's life, very much against Saul. Uh, And let's go back a second and just remember who Saul was so we get this juxtaposition a little bit. Saul was the king that they chose. It said that he was taller than anyone else from the shoulders up, uh, which means that everybody else came up to here. uh, But I always think it means he had a really long neck. Uh, But so he looked like he was the guy. He looked like he could rule. And when he was anointed by Samuel, 
Uh, he was, you know, Samuel said, I'm going to anoint you and I'm going to go prophesy. It happens in this place. It just happened to be next to a, a Philistine garrison. And he's anointed with the spirit. He starts prophesying. And it's like the narrative is getting us excited. What's this guy going to do? And he turns and it says he turns and he goes home and he doesn't even tell his own dad what happened. <laughs> like he keeps it a secret. And then in the next scene, he's going to be, he's going to be anointed through all the, in front of all the people. And they're ready there to crown him. And everyone's looking around for him and they can't find him because he's hiding behind the luggage. And then when they're actually battling against the Philistines, his own son, Jonathan, while the rest of the army and Saul are hiding in a cave, is the one who goes and he orchestrates this big victory. We see again and again and again uh, the failure of Saul in this, in, in this office. And he eventually, when he eventually finally attacks the Philistines, is because they have been attacked. And he actually says to Israel that if he cuts up these calves and sends them all over Israel and says, if you don't come and fight and fight with me, that's what's going to happen to you. Far from a guy who is uh, modeling the character of God and who is actually um, bringing blessing to the people. And with that backdrop, what do we see here in David? As, the, as David, in the sovereign way, is put in this kingdom, it's like everything he touches comes to blessing, even in these little ways. He plays music, and Saul finds peace. Saul comes, and he loves him. He, becomes, he depends on him. He becomes his armor bearer. It's like wherever he goes, then we see this empowering of the Spirit of God that is behind him. Because this is God's man that he has chosen. And this is exactly why David is a type of Christ. Um, that just even, you know, David, if we follow his life, um, was not even the human leader that Israel needed in quite a lot of ways. But David is set up as this model king, as that this is the example of the king that God had in mind in many, many ways. But coming would be a king that would be far more greater than David, who would not struggle, who would not fall, uh, who had a far greater power to represent his people than any human being ever could. Because it was God himself in the flesh. And that Christ being the representative of us is that the blessing that, is, that we have, it comes through him. That the blessing that is given to Christ, that Christ is owed, it extends to us even in our sinfulness you know, because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with our representative. He is our king. And we are invited to come before him and we are invited to follow him as our true and our holy representative. We are able to have hope and look forward to goodness and blessing because we have Christ our representative. That it is a gift we have been given in the true David. But he's also a model. In addition to that, that Christ ends up being the true model of what it actually means to be a follower of God. And that it doesn't come from looking the part. It doesn't come from a giftedness. It doesn't come from a great experience. Uh, but what, look at first what David does here. All of his service is in the most understated kind of way. Uh, he's already been anointed king, and he is put in this court of his enemy. And he faithfully serves, and he blesses Saul, and everywhere he goes, it becomes a blessing. And how much more of Christ is the same type, who came and who gave, gave his life to us, um, as that this is the true model of what it looks like. Um, it is characterized by humility. It is characterized by self-giving love. 
and looking at Christ in that way, that this is the way that this king was able to overcome. It's like, you know, any faction, any you know, opposition, it couldn't touch him. He wasn't swayed by anything else. He continued to entrust himself to his God. He continued to serve um, in love, even until the end, with the ultimate picture of humility. And as those who have the blessing of having Christ as our uh, representative, uh, this also becomes the model for us uh, to follow. And that there's a special way that through the Spirit, even in a community like this, that there kind of becomes this chain of God the Father sending the Son who applies His Spirit to us, um, who dwells here within the community, that His kingdom is recognized. And I, I don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't mean that like this community here um, is Jesus Himself who is sitting you know, on the throne next to Christ, next to God. But is that we have His Spirit in us, that the same power... Um, Is it work amongst us that is pointing back to him? Every step in the chain points back the other way. And so these, you know, our character of humility and hospitality and kindness, um, that they point to something that is real and that is true and that it always is at work um, among us. And this is the true model of what Christ-like character looks like. And this is also the model of what human leadership looks like. That human leadership true that, that leadership that is Christ-like leadership is not, doesn't end up pointing to self. It almost becomes invisible in a way because it is always pointing back uh, to the true representative that we have. It is first characterized by humility and by putting others first. That's the second point, is that God empowers his anointed. Uh, this is the last thing here, which brings up this question, um, how do we receive this kingship and how do we interact it, uh, with it in life? And what one of the last things that really stuck out stood out to me is the the way that God rewrites the story of Israel even through their own failure. So remember that the whole reason that they have a king in the first place is because Israel as a nation rejected God as their king, and they said, "We want a human king. We want one like all of the nations around us. We want to look like them. We don't want to look like the unique people of God." It was, an, it was an example of rebellion. But through that, what did God do? Through their very rebellion against him that started this whole thing, that God actually blessed them with this King David, the greatest king that they had ever had. And through him, David was the category through which would come Christ. Like there's a direct result in just the way the story works from the failure of the people to the way that God blessed them in the end. And I think one of the ways that we engage with this, um, there is a way, it impacts, you know, who we pledge our faith to, it impacts whether we're in Christ or not in Christ, but even more than that, on just a day-to-day basis, it impacts how we engage with our own stories. Because God is the one who rewrites the story in the end. The power in the narrative, it comes through the story of where God began it and what he did through it. That is how he displayed himself. And one of the things that we are the most afraid of doing in life is repentance. It is admitting that we're wrong. It is facing a reality that there is something not right and I'm called to something else. Because of the shame and because of the difficulty that that comes with. But what this story is saying is that whatever that is, 
that is not the thing that writes the end of the story. It is God who writes the end of the story. And that is actually through those things that God actually displays his power. That is where he displays his grace. That is where the story of what he is working out in your own life, uh, where it actually flowers and where we see life. I think this calls for great patience from us. Because as we know, stories, stories are long and they come through many, many twists and turns. And wherever you are in this room, it might be a place in the middle of one of the dark parts where it doesn't make sense how we ended up here. But stories like this are very, very important because they show us the big story that we're a part of. They call us to patience. They call us to again and again and again turn back to our king because it is in our king, in this king, is the only place that we will find true peace and true blessing. And beyond that, that we will find a Savior who deeply loves us and who is totally dedicated to us where we are, whatever we're going through, to interact with that story so that it will end up in something very beautiful at the end. Uh, I'll stop there. Let me pray for us. And we just encourage, encourage us all to reflect um, on where we are this week, um, where we are in our own story, and um, to look at that in comparison to this one. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, David. Thank you for your relationship with Israel. And thank you especially for Christ. Uh, Would you turn our eyes toward him this week? Would you give us the courage and confidence in him that we could look at ourselves honestly, uh, that you would call us back to you, um, and that we would be able to have patience and joy wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.